Welcome back, Joker folks. Without any further ado, here's the second part of our extremely deep dive with Stephen Hyden. You'll never guess what comes in at number one. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people that have Nashville. Like, I, I heard this that they're like, oh, Nashville Skyline, that's like a top 10 record. You're right? looking that's at top five that's a top 10 record. Yes. Yeah. Ian, Which especially. I, I mean, I love that record. Me. That's my tempest. I, I love that record. It's kind of slight. It would be my only, right. I don't, it's not really a criticism, but you know, it's like 27 minutes. There's an instrumental on there. Isn't it great to have a 27 minute Bob Dylan record with an instrumental on it though? It's great. It's great. But like, there's like, you you know, there's (laughs) hell yeah, but but there's 14 other records that I would put ahead. Cause you know, right. 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 Sure. I mean, look at this point, everything we're going to talk about is good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I love it. And again, um, yeah, I, I might, I, I guess I just say that to justify where I put it, that right. like uh, the, that there's records ahead of it that I think just feel more substantial to me. But yeah, Nashville Skyline, I, I obviously am. It, it's a super charming record. It's a dessert uh, wine of an album. You know, it's like the, a little, and it's an upper uh, digestif. It's digestif. An, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think um, Lay Lady Lay is like one of the, and this is like Bob Dylan not necessarily known for being a sexual being. Well, that, (laughs) and also being like a, you know, an especially attentive recording artist, you know, like he, he's obviously made great records, but he's not all that sort of, it's not really his focus. It's not, he's not, he's not Springsteen in the studio. Right. But like the sound of uh, Lay Lady Lay, of that record, uh, like the way the organ sounds, the drum sounds, his own vocal. Um, I think it's like one of his greatest recordings. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's such an evocative recording. Um, like I, I have memories of hearing that song on the radio. Like when I was a little kid, like hearing it at dusk. God, like I wish car. that was on the radio. Well, like on oldies, I guess like you guys are too young to even have oldies the old, radio. The oldies station plays like, you know, um, 80s, old, borderline it, it, Chicago in yeah, 1999. Like, playing like, you know, Starship, uh, nothing's going to stop us now. Oh my right. God. Oldie. Like when I was a kid, like, you know, oldies was like 50s and 60s. And I remember hearing like Lay Lady Lay in the backseat of the car and uh, just feeling like, oh, this is like adult. Slipping like, into a warm bath this is the adult world, you know, like this is like, cause there is a sexuality to that song. There's, it's very evocative. Whatever colors think, you have in your mind, I'll show them to you and you'll see them shine. Still loves that like country pie. Line. But like, even like more than the lyrics of that country song, pie. just, just like how it sounds. And I think like, th- that's like one of the great things about Dylan in this era. And I think it culminates with Pat Gary and the Billy the Kid, like where uh, he, he was really starting to, simplify his lyrics and uh and de-emphasize them and like make it more about the music right Mm -hmm. and uh which i think is like a really underrated aspect of his like say like 69 to 73 output Mm -hmm. um and and that's maybe like why it's not 
been historically well regarded because he is looked at first and foremost as a lyricist. And I think at that time, either because he wasn't inspired as a lyricist or because he wanted to focus more on music. I just wanted to do uh, something different. It's just like, yeah, how, I mean, how do you make a song like it's all right, Ma? I mean, that's, and, the, and then come out from under the shadow of that. Like, I, yeah, where it do you takes go after a lot. It's all right, Ma, and Desolation Row, more like and how, of Joanne. How well, do yeah. you? It's a lot of work to to get back to a point where you can just make a song and people can just enjoy it. Well, you also have like AJ Weberman going through his garbage, analyzing his, you know, analyzing everything he's doing. You have like right. hippies showing up at his doorstep in Woodstock. I'm sure he felt like I don't want. I'm sure on some level we felt like I don't want to just be analyzed for my words. You know, I am a musician. Um, he's an entertainer. Yeah. He's, he's an entertainer. Song and, and, dance and, man. and, and, you know, we can group Dylan 73 into this. I think that like the, uh, the music he made from like 69 to 73, it's just, uh, it's so charming musically. Like I find like it, it, it really engages me on that level. Like sure. It's just, it's just, he just made pretty music yeah. at that time, which yeah. I think a lot of people maybe thought was banal or, right, you know, like or beneath him. Somehow. Yeah, we didn't even talk but about the, all the tired horses, which is just like another completely out of left field thing that is or like Alberta yeah, or you know, wigwam. Both Alberta. Yeah. That's what I meant. I meant wigwam, which, <laughs> you know, was a song that I feel like Wes Anderson rescued because he put that in, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. That's right. That's right. And uh, that was, you know, 2000, that was an era like where self-portrait still wasn't very well regarded. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, for people like me, I feel like that's a movie that probably caused people to go back to self-portrait oh, yeah. and go, oh yeah, like this is actually pretty cool. Like yeah. it's pretty evocative music if you take that out of the context of this record. I wonder um, if they go to the same Taylor. I feel like that's something that Bob would say on theme time, like Wes Anderson, a man who knows how to wear a suit. <laughs> does, does Wes Anderson like wear nudie suits? No, he he wears just like really <laughs> immaculately tailored, like flannel and, and corduroy type suits. A lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, one, one record that I uh, am actually kind of, uh, I, I would like to get your take here uh, on number 13. This is the record that contains our namesake song. Yeah. Uh, great number one, great number two, sweetheart like you. As far as I'm concerned, the rest of it, the only other six songs. You want to talk about a slight record, Infidels, number thirteen. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. see what, I don't see what gets it all the way up there. You, you tell like me what I'm license? missing. I like License, license to Kill. License. I do. License to Kill. Ian doesn't yeah. care for License to Kill. I think Sweetheart Like You is great. Like Sweetheart Like You is great. Don't Fall Apart on Me Tonight is that's good. good. But I just. I and I. Okay. No, no. That's where we did. <laughs> I and I. <laughs> oh, that's a great song. I, I think that that's one uh. of the, that's got to be one of the clumsiest uh, choruses of all time. In Temptation, oh, Where Man's Honor, neither. Whatever, whatever the hell he says. Honors nor forgives. Where man's judgment. Uh, so, you, so you're putting Tempest above Infidels? Yes, fully. 100%. Oh my God. Roll on I mean, John. Uh, <laughs> soon after midnight. I mean, early come on. Roman Kings. Early Roman Kings. 
yeah, they're all fine, but like you're not even touching, you're not even getting close to the peaks of infidels, like with any of those songs. What? I mean, Joker you know, Man, Joker Pete, Man. I mean, Joker I'm Man. I'm with you on Come that. on. Yeah. What, what, we're not going to say. Even Neighborhood bad. Bully, which I've heard people kind of uh, knock that song. I like very, that we're song. We're very anti Neighborhood Bully on Jokerman Pocket. We, <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we stand with See, the people of Palestine. Yeah. I, I, uh, I well, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> it's a misguided song. I I, I, I don't want to get into the politics of that song. I, let's just let's just analyze it as a song. Yeah. I think it's a good song, but um, you know, Union Sunday. I, I'm really surprised at this because I feel like Infidels is um, actually one of those records that's been really ascendant among you know Dylan fans, and actually, I, I think the next, I think the next bootleg series is going to be, be it is infidels. yeah i'm stoked and for that we're thrilled i think there's a whole secret great record in infidels that contains foot of pride and willie mctell oh yeah right. that's, well that's the thing blind willie mctell then, cut out of this album it's like a series of only, dreams being cut out of oh mercy it's like uh oh why'd you do that yeah that's the only that i mean to me that's the only knock on infidels is when you consider the songs that weren't put on there and because if those songs are on there, then I think it's actually a top 10 Bob Dylan record. I, I um, Yeah, no, that's, but like, that's true. But even without those songs, I think it's like a really strong Dylan record. Well, it's got I love that great sound. sound. Yeah, I do love that uh, drum love, kit sound. The Sly and Robbie, he had that, you know, kind of island sound mm-hmm. like in the early uh, 80s, you know, uh, where, I mean, I think he was like, sailing a lot at that time and you know you have that song uh caribbean caribbean wind, wind, caribbean you know, wind. which comes out of there and which is another for me again which is another song that doesn't make a record i guess that would have ended up on uh shot of love if, if that would have been on a record i don't i i or yeah, was i think it would have been shot of love or infidels yeah i mean i think uh yeah somewhere in there um yeah, I'm surprised. Okay, this is like another surprise coming from you because this is a record <laughs> where if someone complained about this on my list, it was because it was too low. Too I, low. I, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this record is very well regarded um, among Dylan fans. And you know, my my complaint on this record for a long time was that it sounded a little too '80s. Like I didn't connect with that for a long time um and also for the same reasons you guys are talking about with the songs that were left off um but i i really love this record a lot i think it hangs together incredibly well and look you know let's not brush aside your namesake song yeah well uh which is like one of the great dylan songs of the 80s i mean it's one of the great dylan songs of all time songs period this record and i mean the song joker man obviously I, I don't think this this podcast wouldn't exist without it. It was like the key to me even thinking about like, well, after I realized I love that song, I just realized like, okay, I really, I just love the man. I love like everything. <laughs> I, this is like a big deal for me because uh, bef- that before that, I just didn't even have that curiosity to explore further. And yeah, man, man of peace. We haven't talked about That's a good uh, one. Union Sundown. I like man. Of Guys, peace. come on, man. I mean, <laughs> if you have an all-time song, which you, I mean, you're saying that this is like uh, a transformational song for you as far as Dylan goes. Yeah, no question. So there's no, there's no song like that on uh, on Tempest. That's I mean, not true. I like, no, I like no, Tempest. No, no, but like, there's no Joker man on Tempest. Man, Roll on there's John no that, is like amazing. Oh, come man. on. 
Come on, you're you're, that's you're stretching. No, I'm not. I mean, honestly, paying blood is like one of my top. Is like it's like my second favorite Bob Dylan song. Oh my god! Okay, so you you have a tempest. This is like this is. I got tempest fever. Which (laughs) and the only cure is more tempest. I won't argue again. You know, God bless you. We all have a Dylan record like that. I'll tell you the the lyrics to uh, "Pay in Blood." It's just like when I, if you feel bad, if you're having a bad day, "Pay in Blood" is just like so fucked up and gross, and just like wallowing in the dirt. It is such a uh, cathartic listen. Yeah, I, I think every song on that record has like it's in a weird way, definitely weird way. Just like it, it nails it. We keep going back to Tempest in this conversation. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. A lot of things go back to Tempest on I mean, this program. And I respect your love of it. And I love that you love the record. I know I'm not like the other girls. Respectfully, yeah. I don't know. I think the whole record is actually really great. I say that as someone who acknowledges that it's a flawed masterpiece. And, and that if it had been the record, it could have been. I think it would have been a top 10. I think that's, record. yeah, that's my main complaint with it is like it, there's the, the, like the raw material and the, the cutting room floor stuff is so like, there is such a brilliant, like absolute, like the eighties ver like an actual best record since blood on the tracks, like a record that actually deserves that title. How about this, uh, Steven, well, when, when we get the-, uh, the, the new bootleg, that's like the, the infidels bootleg series. Maybe we could have you back on to discuss that because Sure, I'll, this I'll feels come back like a, like a good a good thing to right explore further. further yeah. yeah, and I'll just say like I have it at thirteen. I don't. There's like twelve other right. Dylan yeah, records yeah. I have That's ahead true. of this. That's I'm true. not saying this is like one of his you know top top records, you know, but I think it's a really strong record, especially for his '80s output, '80s material. Uh, well, speaking of 80s material in the top 10, let's head right in that direction. Number 12, Oh Mercy, the first appearance yeah. of uh, the great uh, Daniel Anwa. Well, I'm uh, yes. Number 11, Love and Theft. Number 10, Street Legal, which I'm guessing if people got pissed at you for overranking an album, it would be this, although I think it totally deserves it. No, actually, I th- this is another record that is very ascendant, I think, among <laughs> Dylan fans. Interesting. Where uh, I think people... I finally caught up with Street Legal, and I would put myself in yeah. this camp where, as more people, people totally get divorced, ready. you know, more people start to enjoy <laughs> yeah. this album. They get divorced, and also, you know, this was a record that uh, when it came out on CD, which I'm trying, I think that was like early aughts, it was remixed, and I think that was the beginning of it being reassessed because when it initially came out, I think it didn't sound very good. You know what? That makes sense because I just bought it. I bought a used copy, like a you know a, an original issue kind of thing, or maybe not the first press, but you know something from the past before the remix, and it just sounds like shit on my turntable, and I couldn't figure yeah. out why. And that's totally what it is because you're totally right. The the mix was completely fucked, and they remixed it. Yeah, they remixed it, and I think it was because he had such a huge band at the time, mm-hmm. and you know. Bob obviously was never overly concerned with, you know, separation in the studio. Like you just put a bunch of people uh, in the same room. I mean, we didn't really talk about shot of love, but that was like another example of him just having like a ton of people in the studio Mm -hmm. and it being chaotic and, that's one thing I love about Shot of Love. You can is hear like the energy sh- for sure in that record. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty like kind of shambolic sounding record, which I think is great because, you know, certainly, you know, compared to some of his other '80s records, 
which sound, you know, way too slick. You know, I think with Bob, it's generally better if it sounds a little rougher, a little looser for me. Some more air in the room. Uh, Definitely. Um, But yeah, Street Legal, uh, you know, man, that's a record where I will listen to it and I will, I don't usually do this with Dylan records, but I have like listened to that record and just stared at my copy of lyrics, 1962 to 85 you know, and, and try to decipher some of the songs on that record. It's Just such a try dent. to decode Changing of the Guards. Yeah, or uh, No Time to Think was a song that I was obsessed right. with for a long time, <laughs> where uh, I think there's like 18 verses to that song. And, Either the uh, smartest or dumbest lyric that he's ever written, and I still don't know which. It's uh, it's crazy. But, you know, you have like Senor on that Senor record. Is good. Yeah. And, and Senor, a favorite of Jerry's, uh, Jerry Garcia's to cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great cover. And Jerry was like, um, you know, he was a real Dylan fan because he did dig out those. those He's like, for my money, the king of of interpreting Dylan's music. uh, Absolutely. And he, yeah, he's like, just is such a sensitive and thoughtful Dylan fan that you can, it comes through. And like, also, he's Jerry Garcia, so he does an incredible job whenever he does that. It's, um, and he would take songs from records that uh, were not that well regarded. I mean, street. I mean, like when he was covering Senor. I mean, this was like eighty nine, ninety. Street legal was not very well regarded, no. you know. Uh, no. And you know, so he he was digging into. Uh, I mean, he heard something in that song that he appreciated. You know, he wasn't just doing you know mid sixties Dylan songs that which would have been the obvious thing to do. So that's, an, I mean, I really appreciate that. Or, you know, even taking like Tough Mama from Planet Waves. I mean, that's mm-hmm. another song that Jerry just knocked out of the park. Um, Senor with, has, uh, a, has a real Jerry. like sadness to it, I think, uh, that is kind of maybe overlooked. I, I, I really think that Street Legal is a record that has um, that quality of like, it leaves you wanting to come back to it again and again because you keep feeling like you didn't fully get the whole picture. It's compelling. Street Legal is one of those ones where I wish that like, I mean, one of the great things about Bob obviously is the fact that he's gone in so many different directions throughout his career and you have so many different, uh, you know, kind of personas that he's adopted. But Street Legal is one where I really wish he would have settled down like in that sound and that vibe and like put out two records that sounded exactly like Sort of like, yeah, I mean, like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say one thing I love about Street Legal or like what I would say about that album is that musically, it is like one of his more accessible albums. I mean, it sounds like late seventies arena rock. I mean, a lot of people have compared it to like Bruce Springsteen, um, but like lyrically, it's like one of his least accessible. Records. You know, right. so like the, the, so the, the the dichotomy there, I think, is really interesting because like changing of the guards, that song comes on. It's a pretty engaging song musically. It's like very melodic and like you know the background singers and stuff uh, yeah the instrumentation is really good but then like lyrically you're like what the hell is going what, on in this what's song what's going on here a connection and, that uh, i i've made uh on that point specifically is like i feel like street legal and changing of the guards it, it reminds me a little bit of like when leonard cohen made um the future uh and and songs like democracy and 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 stuff like that um or the song, it, it, there's kind of like this weird and very compelling imbalance of like 
an artist making really easy to listen to and very catchy songs that are also like really out there in terms of the lyrics. Right. And it's not just because I happened to buy those two CDs at the same time at Barnes and Noble and listen to them in a car on the same trip. (laughs) Also street legal has one of my favorite Dylan album covers too. I love that cover. I know Santa Monica incredible pants, like shitty stucco wall. And I just feel like how Dylan is dressed, you know, he's not known as like a dapper dresser necessarily, but I think he looks so cool on the cover of that record. He looks so 1978. That's for certain. Um, I would just say too, you know, I had had Oh Mercy at number 12. That was a record I originally had in my top 10. What happened? uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I think Love and Theft was ascendant for me. I love Bo Mercy though. I mean, I, again, like we're really at the point now, like where it's like really hard for me to split hairs. I, I mean, like my, my top four, I think is pretty solid for me. Yeah. Uh, but like, like five through 12, it's very hard for me to tell the difference between different records. Um, you know, I, I mean, I love the, the Daniel Lanois records. I know there's like, I, I feel in a weird way that those records have suffered in uh, reputation. Reputation. I, feel I like think you're totally right. There's like a continue, and I think it has a lot to do with Bob Dylan himself. Yes. Shitting on Daniel Lanois, <laughs> yes. like in Chronicles. Well, you just stuff. don't like to think uh, about Dylan being unhappy with a record. It's, well, I, I, I think what he didn't like is that Daniel Lanois is a real presence on his records in a way that no other producer is. Right. And I don't think he, I, I, I just don't think he liked the idea of sharing the spotlight with somebody else and, uh, or being filtered through someone else. Like having this patina that is kind of like, it's like color correction on a movie. Like where you just start to like, the whole scene is green now. Or, yeah, or where it's too stylized in a way that he's not in control of necessarily. Mm-hmm, right. Um, but I think it works beautifully. And Lanois gets, he deserves credit for kicking Bob in the ass. Absolutely. When, yeah. he, when he needed that. And, uh, you know, and with Oh Mercy, especially just saying to Bob, like, we're not going to have like a million guest stars. It's just going to be like a very small group of people. You're going to play guitar yourself. Uh, I mean, Oh Mercy, there's not that many people that play on that record. Um, And, but like what Bob didn't like is that Lanois, I think more so on that record than on Time Out of Mind, he basically was like, you and I are going to play together, get your vocal down perfectly. And then we're going to, I'm going to overdub over it instead of having all these people in a room playing in the room together, yeah. like a live take. And I think that was sort of antithetical to what the way Bob works, but it worked great on that record. It has such a great vibe yeah. to it. Like yeah. a late night, you know, you, you, you hear the insects yep, sitting on the know? porch, yeah. sitting on the porch in the bayou. Yeah. And it works. New Orleans record. There's some, and there's some beautiful songs in there. I mean, most of the time, which, you know, everyone talks about. Yep. Most uh, of the time and Ring Them Bells are ring both them bells, all-timers. Man in the Long Black Coat, you know, Shooting Star, uh, you know. just Honestly, it, political again, I, world, like, it, 
even though the lyric <laughs> maybe on, isn't the best, come on. I'm just going to say like the instrumental really cooks. It's really good. It yeah, like, yeah, like, are you shitting on political world? I think well, that's a totally good song. It is. A, it, it's, it's a fun song, but, uh, you know, we live in a, I don't know. Just, it, it's, 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 it, it, we live in a it, society. It, it has, it, exactly. It has too much like connotation with Joker memes in my mind, <laughs> which when it came out in 1989, no one would have any fucking idea. Yeah, and the, do you recognize yeah, though that that song is true and that it's not, oh, it's not wrong? We do. In have fact, you considered in that? World. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, mercy. I think, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, Lanois presence, uh, like I think two records, two Lanois records is exactly the right amount. Like I think that and time to mind are both great records, all timers, uh, and Lanois definitely did what he needed to do. But I think, I, I think that's enough of him having worked with Bob, uh, right. certainly judging where Bob went post time out of mind. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. Let's, uh, let's bring it all back home. Uh, we're in the top 10. We got number nine, the times they are changing. Number eight, desire. Number seven, bringing it all back home. Lay yeah, on I mean, t- times they are changing. That was another one that was ascending for me. Um, it was higher than I would have expected when I, before I started working on it. Yeah. And I kind of grouped that with desire just because I think those are like his two great storytelling records. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think of Dylan necessarily as being like a linear storyteller, um, except on those records. Right. That's um, true. Yeah. You know, Ballad of Hollis Brown, you know, obviously Lonesome Death of Patty Carroll, you know, they're gripping, they're like, you know, movies inside of a song and um, Desire, of course, has Hurricane and ISIS, um, ISIS, ISIS Black Diamond like, Bay as well. Total. And you have Joey on there too, which a lot of people don't like, but yeah, I tend to be Joey's. a little more tolerant of that song. Another dead um, favorite all, to all cover. 13 minutes of it. The dead covered yeah. Joey quite a few times, right? Or at least Jerry did, I think, right? Joey, I think, is on Dylan and the Dead. Yes. Right? Okay, yes. that's what I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah. So, yeah. So those two records, I think, are like his great storytelling records. And then Bring it all back home. I think I had that's that number that's seven? pretty good. That's a pretty seven, good album. <laughs> I you know that's that is number one for me. Yeah, is it? I think yeah. it's I mean, number three for me. Which at this or, point in the top seven, I mean, like you're not, you're, you're, no one can argue with any of this at this point. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, that's the one that is like that's it gets, the one. It's tied. It gets pretty one. ridiculous at this point. I mean, you know, I would say I think you could make a case that side two. Of bring it all back home is like the greatest side of any Bob Dylan album right. ever. I think Tambourine Man, Gates of Eden, bring, uh, It's All Right, Ma, I mean, and uh, Baby Blue. Baby Blue Which, is, I mean, it's all right. Baby Blue is probably just straight up one of the best. It's clearly one of the best songs ever written. Yes, I mean to me, and so and so is Mr. Tambourine. Yeah, Man, Tambourine so Man as well. It's All Right, Ma. It's, I mean, yeah. all those songs are are brilliant. I mean, I think. Um, and again, this is like a, we're quibbling at this point, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to justify what it, why I put it at seven. I just feel like side one pales a little bit yeah. in comparison to side two. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's funny because bringing it all back home is regarded as like his first electric album, but it's really the acoustic side that is like the revolutionary part of that record. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Like, 
like the electric songs on there sound like a little uh if you're going to compare it to like highway 61 it doesn't have nearly the power of highway 61 right like the electric songs on there but the acoustics on like the the so-called folk songs which they're not even no. folk songs i don't know he's like rewriting the book on rock songwriting on that second side they're, they're the most um, important songs probably in rock history a case could be made like there there probably wouldn't be a velvet underground there would like as we know it without that side of that record like that and i think like you know calling back to another side of Bob Dylan. I think he recorded that Rain man for another side. Well, no, I was going to say, I think he recorded that second, that side two of bring it all back home. Like in one session. Oh shit. Did he? I mean, I, th- I mean, I, I, I remember reading Paul Williams book. I think he talks about that, that yeah. like, um, or at least like maybe two or three of those songs like were recorded like in the same afternoon. That's wild. So it just speaks to, the focus that he had at that time, just how powerful, uh, I mean, you know, it's all right, Ma, maybe his most quotable song. I mean, every song, every line on that song almost is like a classic one liner, you know, Even the president of the United States must sometimes have to stand naked. I was going to say money doesn't talk. It swears. I mean, yeah. that would be my standout, but yeah. Flesh colored Christ that glow in the dark. We could go back and forth. I mean, the one that gets I mean, me I, is the, uh, just the first, the beginning, the, the first lines, uh, darkness at the break of noon shadows, even the silver spoon, the handmade blades, of child's balloon. Like, that's just like, I'm, I, I'm that meme of, uh, pretty Vince good, McMahon pretty good when I hear that. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and you know, there were a couple people that were, uh, griping at me about having it at number seven. And I was like, yeah, you know, he's got a lot of great albums, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and, and maybe people would argue that like what I have at number six shouldn't be in there, which is time out of mind. I, I guess I'll. Yeah. We I'll got jump. time out of mind, six basement tapes, five. So yeah. You know, kind of going back to your, uh, your love of Tempest. I mean, I, I, I think I have a similar relationship with time out of mind because it came out, when I was like 19 or so. Right. I was, I was the ar- same age probably. Or, or, and I was events. already, I was, I was starting to get into Bob Dylan at that point. And it was like, Oh, there's like a new Bob Dylan. Well, what a cool new like, Bob Dylan album to discover as like a late teen. Cause yeah, it's kind of the perfect one. It's so cool. And it's so, it's so crazy too, because you know, the idea of that record is that it's like his mortality record. And, and that, you know, cause he had, also, uh, he had that the, sort of brush, right, yeah. that, sort of that brush with death, which wasn't that didn't inform the writing of the songs, but it was it, it definitely informed how people perceived it. Perceived it. Yeah. Perceived it. There was the context of the record, and it was like you know, like he was like fifty six, I think, when that yeah, record he's had a, came he's out. He's had a whole other career since yeah. that record came out. Yeah. So you know, but you know, like I remember. I mean, I've said this many times. I, I one of my first big arena or it was a stadium concert. I saw the Rolling Stones on the Voodoo Lounge tour wow, very when cool. I was 16 in, in, 19, in 1994. And I remember thinking at the time, I have to go see the Stones now because they're going to, there's no way they can tour after this. Uh-huh. Right. They're, they're way too old. And, you know, and, 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 and like Big Jagger was like 50, you know. And Great was, record you know, has a, a waiting for, what's that song that was in the Sopranos? 
uh, through and through. Oh, what a great song. Any minute, any hour. You know, I mean, it was different in the 90s because there were no 80-year-old rock stars in, 19, in the 90s. I mean, right. like this this generation is like re, is rewriting mm-hmm. how old rock stars can be with every decade. Right. So like, so like in the 90s, if you were in your 50s, you were kind of old. Uh, and so, yeah, we, you know, people sort of throwing dirt on Dylan's grave. Uh, with time out of mind uh but you know but even even beyond that i mean i don't know that record to me it still really stands up um you know like love sick and standing in the doorway not dark yet trying to get the irons bound cold irons highlands uh you know there's so many just great songs on that record and um and i and i will say i think you know we were talking about lanois before i think it really comes together with Lanois on Time Out of Mind. Yep. I, yeah. I, 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 just the sound of that record. And I, and I think Dylan's songs are more substantial, too, than they are in Old Mercy. It's definitely the, uh, the more successful of their collaborations. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And it's it's like, a I, I think of Time Out of Mind and uh, Love and Theft as like kind of two sides of the same coin. This is probably not an original take, but Time Out of Mind is a very inward-facing record. Like he's very focused on himself there. And then Love and Theft is the exact inverse in that it's very outward-facing and he's looking at the world around him and telling stories about it and talking about it critically. Um, so all of the, you know, a lot of the great records are kind of a fusion of both of those approaches, but for this particular period of time, time out of mind, he's, he's writing about himself, you know, more than he really ever had, um, or certainly ever had in a long time. Um, and then love and theft, he goes in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference with love and theft too, is that his sense of humor is more apparent on love and theft, whereas, you know, time out of mind is this, uh, you know, sort of self-consciously heavy record. And I, you know, that's probably what detractors of that album yeah. would hold against Friend it. Friend of the show, Matt, Matt Farley, I don't think is a huge fan of the record in some ways. Right. And I, yeah. And I know people disparage the record for that reason. I think they look at it as maybe, I think critics of the record think of it as being a little turgid or even morbid in a way. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's um, an incredibly powerful record, and it, and it just has songs that to me are undeniable, you know, uh, and, and and so memorable, and and to me still uh, stand apart from so any song really that he's done in the last twenty five years. I mean, I, I still feel like that is his strongest collection of material. Mm. Uh, that's come out uh, like in the, I mean, I don't even know how we define late period Bob Dylan at this point. I mean, I, time out of mind feels like the beginning of late period Dylan, but maybe I mean, we don't know how late it's going to go. Maybe, maybe it's right. love and theft. I, yeah, I yeah, don't that's, know. That's early late period Dylan. And now we're into late, late period. Yeah. Dylan. I mean, maybe time out of mind is like the end of mid period Dylan. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how we define it. I kind of like, think of uh, under the red sky as some kind of like point where it becomes like, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a million ways you could just slice it up. <laughs> it, I would also I mean, say it, that uh, time out of mind. I mean, if you, 
if you are a detractor of that record and you think it's a little turgid, a little morbid, like just wait till you have like some kind of bout of personal depression and then like get back to me. <laughs> like that record well, is is so uh, perfect and it's it's a necessary album for a certain type of way that one can feel. You also have like Highlands, which I think is a pretty it has like pretty funny moments. Yeah, and the jokes the are packed into that one yeah. eighteen minute song at the end. Which is a pretty substantial part of the record. So, you know. I said, tell me what I want. She said, you probably want hard gold. You humor in there, you have uh, Make You Feel My Love, which I know some people think is sort of sentimental path. Oh, I think it's like a lovely it's, ballad. It's that lovely. Was, it's great. And, uh, you know, so it, it's not all him just t- singing about death. Uh, on that record I think I mean Standing in the Doorway I think is such a beautiful love song yeah um, and uh, one of his best songs you know, just yeah period. it's it, it's it, it's so good so yeah that that is a, it, I mean it's kind of crazy now that I think of it that I put that ahead of bring it all back home but <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll defend that I guess I guess man Oh, that's tough. God, well, Evan, so... Evan put Tempest above literally everything else besides Blonde okay. and Blonde. So. Hey, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> at the top 10 is a generous, you know, grouping. It's like every, I mean, I think everything in the top 10 I, is like sharing space. Everyone, I think in, for your Dylan top 10, you have to have a couple reaches. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, it was probably street legal and... I know Desire would probably be considered a reach for some people. It's very low on my uh, list. <laughs> I love Desire. I, lo- I mean, and, and my love of Desire um, is probably also wrapped up just in my love of like Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder in general, yeah. Uh, but I love, I mean, w- maybe like Dylan, like one of my favorite Dylan like vocals, like like the sound of his voice at that time. Like I got, I just, he's such a strong singer. Like on one more cup I of coffee, so- th- that like trilling, uh, Arabian type of thing that he does. <laughs> well, like in like, you know, Scarlet Rivera. I mean, I just, I, I love the sound. Yeah. It's such a signature record. kind of like, just like you hear two seconds of one song and you know, instantly like, Oh, that's desire. Um, and then yeah. Basement tapes at number five, you know, that's another I, reach. I'm just going to th- say a little uh, bit. What? Never. We're, we're pretty Never. Uh, really for, for mostly, an album that is like what like 40% not bob that, uh, to be in the top 10 all of the shenanigans yeah. the band got up to and re-recording old versions uh, or new versions of old songs and stuff just like i don't know it it doesn't it doesn't sit well you're talking yourself out of not liking the basement tapes I, i'm going to tell you something <laughs> you know? just to just to sweeten the pot here i recently was listening to the bootleg series the basement tapes bootleg uh, edition. I don't remember which number that is. I mean, I love the stuff on the basement tapes that is Bob. Uh, I just don't love the stuff that is not Bob on it. And I kind of oh, wish yeah. that it was uh, more, more Bob just kind of like having fun and less of the band and less of Robbie Robertson using it as like a launch pad to like do his 
thing. I mean, uh, so we're gonna okay. So we're talking smack about Robbie Robertson now. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, look, you he's, know, he's an easy the line of he's attack. an easy target. Look, look, I, I I've come around on Robbie Robertson. I've taken shots at Robbie Robertson, and I wrote a book where I took a shot at him. Uh, Twilight of the Gods. I took a shot at him, and I I wish I could take that back because he is the best guitar player that Bob Dylan ever played with. His guitar playing on that '66 tour is unfucking believable yes yes and he was also on the basement tapes yeah. and look i don't know how you guys feel i, I mean this is like a, i don't want to get into the band because we're already running <laughs> way late here Terminally but <laughs> the band is is a totally essential part of the basement tape story so like them having a substantial mm-hmm. part of the official record um is totally acceptable to me and I, yeah, we can get into the weeds about like, oh, well, this wasn't recorded at the same time or there's overdubs, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit. Like that record is fucking great. The songs are great. Um, and what that signifies about, about Bob Dylan too means a lot to me. Oh, because for sure. I think what I, what I think about Dylan, you know, that his greatest songwriting year might've been 1967. Which I think apple suckling tree, you know, terrific. Uh, I shall be released. Nothing was delivered. Clothesline Uh, saga. Yeah. Uh, Well, okay. So we're just gonna like no, no, no. I'm I'm joking, but I'm not. I but but even even, I love listening to apple suckling tree. Like I do love to hear it. He's fucking around. Yeah, it's no paying blood. And, And there are versions of the basement tapes that are just Bob's stuff. I mean, it puts it in perspective. I think the profound thing, and the, the reason I don't, I'm not even like, I'm fully not mad. I'm actually laughing. I'm actually right. laughing. I'm not mad. Is that um, <laughs> I, I think that the thing that speaks to you, and I think does at times fully speak to me about the basement tapes, is that it is like this cathartic moment of Bob Dylan um, simply having fun and being like, just a musician among musicians. And it's, it's a really kind of joyous thing that you can just like turn your brain off and turn your analytical brain off and, and just like realize it's like a healing moment. But like, I mean, basically what we conceive of as like Americana music, I mean, they invented with the basement tapes. Dad rock, the origin of the, of the genre. Well, okay. I mean, really? We're going (laughs) to, Isn't it a little bit? No. Well, then, then like Highway sixty one is dead rock. I mean, like what? what? That that's a I don't know (laughs) a challenging. Well, then, well, why is Basement Tapes more dead rock? Dead rock Genesis. Like if you did. Okay, well, so this is the show like we just shit on the basement. No, tapes no, no, then? no. Like, I, that what this all is? right. So you were saying like, like everything is, uh, you know, it's all good, and then we get to the one. This is the sticking point. Uh, I knew this would happen on this episode. Well, like if you're gonna like shit on it like that, I no, mean, I'm, I'm like, being little, facetious. Like, thrown off. By uh, that. I want to clarify that. Um, please take I mean, the floor, I, I hope Steven. Your listeners are also rising up and uh, you know. <laughs> And throwing their phones out the window. I've spoken like, too much. To I want you to defend the basement tapes, yeah. and you have full. Uh, I don't have to. Def- I don't have to defend the basement tapes. The basement tapes are like what they are. I think you need to defend calling the basement tapes the beginning of Dad Rock. Wait, wait, wait! I mean, you that, you are beating that, into that, what I'm saying. I'm not saying Dad Rock is a bad thing. 
I like the the idea, you know. Well, or, you know, or that it's like apple suckling tree. I like That's apple suckling tree. I just think that there's a. Yeah. I have a lighter view of it. You know, it's like the way that you don't appreciate necessarily the the crooner era. I sort of think of basement tapes as like you know something I put on. It's just not something I have like a great emotional attachment to, but I enjoy it on a barbecue level. Well, I, I feel confident saying that the basement tapes are better than the crooner records. I feel like that that's a pretty, I feel like I'm in pretty solid ground making that argument. Respect. That is a pretty, but, that is a pretty uh, you straightforward know, so thing. Like, so you could take the crooner records, I'll take the basement tapes. I think that the basement tapes, to simply say that it's like, Guys fucking around in the basement. I don't know. I think that's a pretty reductive. I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing. I I like that about it. I know, but I think it's a little bit more profound than that. I guess that's just that's all I would say. Okay, maybe I I need to disagree to disagree on that. I I probably need to take some time to think about this. Honestly, I I will uh, do my due diligence and and reconsider. And we will have the the basement. The we all like what we like. You know, you you're entitled to like what you like. I I just find that to be kind of a perverse take on that. Ian, you're staying well, out of this cuz you're just being a coward. I just want to point that out. That's true. Yes. Uh I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just uh I'm I'm bringing it home. Uh we <laughs> we got four left here. We got uh, and these are ones I think that won't be quite as disagreeable. Uh we got Highway 61, John Wesley, Blood on the Tracks and Blonde on Blonde in that order. Yes. Um no disagreements uh, here. No. None. Yeah. None to be had. So yeah, like what, what what do we want to talk about first here? Uh, well, I think I think John Wesley might be the one that's most kind of uh, jumping out, uh, uh, jumping out of those top four because obviously Highway sixty one, Blood on the Tracks, Blonde on Blonde are you know those are, like there there almost isn't even anything to say about those like obviously those are in the top five all time. John Wesley is the one that I think we would actually. Uh, agree with you belongs right up there in the right. top, but doesn't have that same kind of cultural cachet that something like Blonde on Blonde or Blood on the Tracks has, right? So, so what do you think separates that from the Basement Tapes? Though? John Wesley, yeah, I I feel like John Wesley Harding. I mean, look, I just want to be very clear. My only beef <laughs> with the Basement Tapes is that I feel like I just would have like maybe put more of like on the official release, just more of Bob's stuff. Cause I love about the basement tapes, hearing Bob just kind of cut loose and do those silly little word play and like all those silly lyrics, like on like million dollar bash, like it's undeniably delightful stuff. And then uh, there's some other songs where it just, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, like I, I don't, I don't need it. I, what I really like about the bootleg about the basement tapes is that you really lean, it leans fully into Bob and in, in that like silly, like after hours mode. And um, I feel like on the, the basement tapes that is officially released, it's like that momentum gets broken up a little bit by him not being the main event. Totally. Yeah. That's my only criticism. On the whole, I love the thing as as much as you could love. Like, you know, it's I, I think it's like as good as a lot of the stuff we've spoken about tonight. Well, how do you guys feel about John Wesley Harding? Man? The song, I mean, the songwriting on John Wesley Harding is really like stunning, especially coming on the heels of what it comes on. Um, you know, like um, 
the title track, obviously, uh, all along the watchtower as I went out one morning, St. Augustine. I pity the poor like, immigrant is one of my favorite. Poor immigrant, landlord. For it, sure. It's really just kind of like each, each and every song I think is insane. And then, but also the sound, like the, like the band has never sounded uh, like quite that just kind of like tight and like, just like kind of perfect. It's such a simple and stripped down um, kind of studio sound, but not in like, um, not in like a quote unquote stripped down kind of way. You know, it's just like, I don't know. It, it's so like precise. It's one know? of the most mysterious albums too, just factually. There's so little known about the recordings and um, it was done so quickly and, and how enigmatic a lot of the lyrics are. I mean, if somebody said it was their favorite Bob Dylan record, I would be like, okay, that's, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really seems to stand apart in his catalog, I think, uh, because of how, like, despair it is. You know, it's like him and Charlie McCoy and Kenry, Kenny Buttery, you know, just those three guys. And he plays harmonica in every song. It's like, yeah. I think it's his best harmonica record oh, yeah. for me. Um, like the... Uh, Solo at the end of uh, I Dreamed I, Say, I Saw St. Augustine is like one of my favorite moments on any Dylan record. Just that harmonica solo, uh, I think is so beautiful. It blows me away too that like he, you know, had he, there was all these songs that were you know workshopped during the basement tapes era, but like these songs seem like they were separate from that. Yeah, like, right. I, yeah, they wouldn't not, have fit in on that record. Well, and I'm not even aware of him playing those songs with the band. I mean, I think I don't know when he wrote those songs. If he like just kind of played them on his own. Yeah, it's like this micro if, uh, era that's kind of on its own. There's like some similarities, I think, between like the John Wesley Harding songs and the uh, the basement tape songs, just in terms of like some of the uh, the biblical imagery. Well, I was and, gonna say and, it's uh, it's such a covertly, I think, in a way, it's maybe his most religious album, even more so in some weird way than the like overtly religious albums. It's well, it won't, except he's not evangelizing. Right, which is why I think it's argument. actually like kind of feels palpably like there's some kind of spiritual thing going on. Some of the songs seem to be like from God's perspective. Uh, yeah. Or, or, like I Pity the Poor Immigrant, for example, feels like it's kind of from the point of view of Jesus or something. It's pretty uh, heady. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking earlier about does this belong with Nashville Skyline and, uh, you know, the albums that he made after that, the New Morning and records like that. And I, I really don't think so. I, I feel like it doesn't belong, obviously, with like Blonde on Blonde and Highway 61. It's a break from that. But I feel like it doesn't really quite belong with Nashville Skyline. I mean, you could say that like it, the, the, the you know, like the last song, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, that is pointing towards Nashville skyline. There's Down a, along the coast. There's a similarity. Yeah. Like there's a similarity, I think there, but um, 
I just looked at Nashville Skyline as being a much lighter record. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have the, um, I don't know. I keep, it's an interesting point you were making about it being like his most religious record. I mean, the difference between that record, I think, and like Slow Train Coming or something is that he's not endorsing like a religious uh, you know, creed or something. He's not like trying to get you to join the. It's the Old it's Testament more, one, and those are yeah, the New Testament ones, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's more like uh, it's like parables uh, on on John Wesley Harding, John Wesley, yeah. and uh, um, where, but also where you know, I mean, what's fascinating to me about his religious records is that you know, for the longest time, people wanted Bob Dylan to tell them what to do basically like they wanted him to be a spokesperson and he always resisted that except when he made the religious records then he was like okay i'm not going to be ambiguous at all i'm going to tell you exactly what i think Mm. and this is what i want you to do i'm actually going to be the spokesperson now and people hated it like they didn't like him sort of uh you know preaching to them in a very deliberate kind of way and uh, which is, I, that's, I find that so fascinating about that record. It was finally like, well, I'm not going to hide behind metaphors now. I'm going to be very direct. <laughs> and it turned people off. And like on John Wesley Harding, um, you know, there is religious imagery on that record, but there is a lot of ambiguity. Like you're not, it's not totally clear. Nothing is like revealed. What, yeah. yeah, you're not sure. <laughs> it's not really clear on like what you're supposed to take from these songs. Uh, which I think really adds to that sense of mystery that you were talking about. Um, I have to say too, that I'm always kind of bummed out. I mean, I love Jimi Hendrix's cover of all along the watchtower, but like, I wish sometimes that Bob would play it the way that he wrote it, that he did it. Yes. But But I think he realized that he couldn't play it that way without, Charlie McCoy and Kenry Buttery, who uh, I think are, you know, we got to give it up for those guys. Like one of the best and most unique rhythm sections on any record. It's so cool. It's so good. Just the bass playing alone on that record is just fucking out of this world. And when Kenny's drumming, I think is, is incredible. And a lot of times you can't even really hear Bob's guitar all that much. It is really like him almost singing over like a bass and drum part with like a very jangly, guitar and, then, and like his harmonica is uh is what ends up cutting through even more than his guitar right um yeah great record um and i don't know in a way it might have been a stretch for me to put it number three i, I know some people don't put it that high but like for me it, it is totally i mean it's hard uh I mean, I was sort of second guessing before putting time out of mind over uh, bringing it all back back home. home. I mean, it's hard to, you know, I have second thoughts maybe about putting John Wesley Harding over Highway 61 Revisited, which Highway 61 was the first Dylan record that I really connected with. Um, As a, you know, when I was first getting into him, like, and I think I, as a young man, I connected to the anger of that record. Yeah. It's a very angry record. Um, and Desolation Row is still a song that I, I would maybe put into the conversation of his greatest songs. I mean, that that's such an amazing song. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, the top four, I mean, the top four, I think is pretty solid for me, but, and I think blonde on blonde for me is a pretty solid number one. Is it the number one? Have we gotten yeah. down to that point? Are we? That's it. Yep. No. So wait, number two where, is blood, blood on, the on the tracks. Okay. We haven't even talked about blood on the tracks yet. Yeah. Uh, which is what you in New York? Are you a New York sessions guy? Are you a Minneapolis sessions guy? You know, I, um, I think I'm okay with how the album turned out. Right. I I am too. (laughs) You know, I, uh, I like, I, I'm fine with the mix. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about that? I'm a big, I, I, uh, I, I say this every time we talk about it, but I'm a big, uh, I big love New York. New York. I'm there, walking here. Yeah. There's Pizza. some ultimate takes in particular that aren't even on the bootleg series release that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, but that aquarium drunkard posted like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago that had this like weird kind of floaty organ on them and stuff. And they're just, idiot win and, and tangled in particular, just, are just these fucking insane, just like spooky, haunted sounding songs. And, and obviously the, the record versions of those songs are untouchable. Um, but that just like the added depth and, and, um, and misery, I think that you get in idiot Wind in particular is, uh, is so just, and, and it has this like really, I mean, obviously for all of us, these records have these insane kind of like connections to our heart and particular moments and times and personal lives and stuff. But those songs, those versions of those songs in particular really kind of like, came and like were there at you know harder moments in my life uh and so that's just like i don't know when when i think of those songs those are the versions i hear i mean my only complaint about blood on the tracks would be that up to me isn't on there and up to me is like one of my favorite one of my very favorite bob dylan songs so you know if i was going like to me it's less about the alternate versions than that song not being there Right. And and I love Buckets of Rain, but I would say up to me. You would put up to me in there over Buckets of Rain if you had to choose. Yeah. Up to me and, and Shelter like a from the Storm so, like, so similar. Oh, you mean Buck- yeah. Yeah, Shelter from the Storm is sort of like, and, and uh, up to me are kind of like um, the same the same song with different lyrics, basically, right? I, well... I it's mean, like a reprise or something. I mean, you. I mean, you could say that about a lot of Bob Dylan songs. I mean, you could say that like musically. I mean, I mean, I think uh, the thing about Blood on the Tracks is that like all the songs are in the same key, right? I mean, isn't it like, isn't there something like that about Blood on the Tracks? I mean, like the musically, all the songs in there are like pretty similar. Yeah, um, lyrically about- also very similar with the long verse and then the kind of the title repeated as the last line in the as the refrain right. every single time. Shelter from the what? Storm what do you like about twist of fate. what do you like about up to me uh, in particular? I, I think that that's the last song on the record. That it's actually more of a downer ending for that album. I I don't know what the sequence. To me, I imagine it as like the closing song. It feels like a closing song to me, and I think. What that song is a, I think what that song is about ultimately, and maybe you could say "Shelter from the Storm" has a similar arc, but it basically it's about Bob Dylan saying that like I can't be in a relationship with anybody. I am I am destined to be by mm. myself, and it's because I'm choosing art over love, mm. and 
there's something uh, very melancholy, I think, about that in that song for me. And Buckets of Rain is a lovely song, but to me, just lyrically, it's not as memorable as Up To Me is. Up To Me is one of those songs that I think just lyrically, um, that's another extremely quotable song for me. It does have some great lines. Um, I, I will c- I'll come clean. I shit talked it on a not so uh, distant episode. <laughs> oh man, you and I are adversaries. Look, <laughs> I know, uh, I know this. Were, I, I wrote a whole column for the Ringer about up to me. I, so, so you hate, so you don't like the basement? No, tapes, no, no, so no. Like, I, I wish I would have known that before I agreed to go on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that I literally I would have uh, like steeled myself. I fully never thought about it as potentially being the closer to the record. And I will say with my heart wide open, uh, that actually is something that has made, I do think that that would be a way to contextualize that song in a way that I think would be really powerful and um, makes a lot more sense. What did you say about it? Like, you said you should talk to it. Like, what did you say? Oh, I I said that it was like, I, I didn't believe that it could be anyone's favorite Bob Dylan song. Well, believe it, son, because uh, <laughs> it's definitely one of my favorite. Like, why? Like, why is that so inconceivable? I suppose I just didn't think about the uh, the thinking about the context of it. Like, "Shelter from the Storm" being so similar, I just always sort of was more into the sort of poetic, like widescreen of of "Shelter from the Storm" about how it's like kind of almost more like a parable, sort of like really universal, that sort of approach. Whereas up to me feels a little, I guess at the time felt a little bit like it was very hyper-specific. I will say though, Stephen, reframing that as potentially like a closer to this album that has this big thematic arc, I do see how that song, with all of its great lines, I will say it has some great lines. You've sold me, is what I'm saying. I would say, yeah, I think when you listen to up to me, to me, and maybe I'm a sucker for the self mythologizing of like the last verse, but like the idea of him basically, uh, and I, I guess I, I like the recurring motif in that song of like, um, of what up to me, it, the meaning of that phrase changes yeah. as the song goes along that there's this, that at the beginning of, as the song goes along at some point, it's like about him, uh, you know, seizing love and seizing a relationship. It's up to me to like pursue this woman or to be, uh, you know, the man that this woman is looking for. And then at the end, what it means is that it's up to me that I'm alone, that I'm destined to be alone. And uh, there's something very powerful about that, but it's also very sad to me. And I think um, like Buckets of Rain is a lovely song. I, I, and blood on the tracks as it is, I think is a masterpiece, but um, uh, I don't know. It doesn't quite hit me the same way that up to me does. I think up to me, to me, it feels like a gut punch. I think it's a really powerful song. Um, And it, uh, I actually don't feel like it's that similar to shelter from the storm. I I don't know. It's not any more so than any other song on that record. I'm going to extend an olive branch to you. At at this very moment, I'm removing a track from my 100 (laughs) best songs playlist, which will be revealed at a later point in Jokerman podcast. And I am uh, inducting up to me into my 100 best songs. You got to put apple suckling tree. It already is. Exactly. (laughs) 
It is a curious, uh, it is a curious cut from the record for me. Like I, I don't understand. I'm not kidding though. Uh, Apple it. Suckling Tree is on my hundred best songs. <laughs> I don't I mean, understand why Up To Me didn't make it, but like Meet Me In The Morning um, uh, or like You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go, which are good songs, nice songs, but like don't, don't like, don't pack, they're not like big picture, like really kind of gut punch songs like you're saying. I mean, I think it was, bec- I mean, the explanation I've heard is that it was just like too long. Cause it's like a seven minute another, song. It's another seven. Well, well that's song. the, the yeah. thing about that album is if blood on the tracks walks this really, really delicate line of being like almost, uh, too, um, uh, too vulnerable. Like that is kind of the, um, the sticking point with that record. Like the reason it was remade, I feel like it, you know, famously Bob's brother was just like, I don't hear a hit. He pulled like that on him. And, uh, also, apparently, Joni Mitchell was somebody who was really upset about uh, Bob re-recording thing because she felt like he was kind of uh, pussying out, basically, of like not just going for it and being like as emotional and raw as that material um, as the first could have been. been. Yeah, I mean, it's uh I don't know. I don't buy into the idea personally that like the New York sessions are necessarily more emotionally authentic than like what is on the record. Um, I mean, I, in a way I feel like it was smart to recut some of those songs because I think when they were so stripped down, it maybe did sound a little samey right? Mm -hmm. and having like idiot wind. Like I like the um, New York version of that. But, you know, with the band, it is a more dynamic performance. Fire, and I think, yeah. um, you know, with the organ in there, Nick, his vocal is really great. Um, and, you know, like if you see her say hello, like is that not raw? Like with the band? I mean, I don't know. I The, uh, the, uh, the line on that song where he says... Uh, um, the bitter taste still lingers on from the net. I tried to make her stay. I mean, that, that still hits me pretty hard. Like when I, when I hear that, so I don't know. I, I feel like that record. Um, I, I, I think that's some of his best writing, like on that record for sure. No question. Um, I mean, tangled up in blue. I mean, as much as it might be a cliche to talk about that song. I mean, that's like an amazing <laughs> song. Pretty good song. Um, in Shelter from the Storm, I think, uh, again, that's like another just like incredible lyric. Um, what do you think of Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack of Hearts? I love that there song. Middle of the side, too. I love that song. I love that. I, and I love that it kind of diverges from the uh, the story a little bit. Although, right. I mean, you, you could make a case for that. Being it's like a, it's like a movie, a movie within a movie or so sort of. It's a nice, like sort of intermission in the middle of this, like heart rending, like soul bearing misery session. Like, Oh, now we're going to have a nice little, uh, like, like kind of vaudeville show. Yeah. When, when Bob yeah. played that for, uh, uh, Shel Silverstein on his houseboat, I, bu- I, I bet he was like this, now this I can get behind. <laughs> right. Well, I love, I love that story about him, about Dylan playing, the all the blood on the track songs for Stephen Stills, <laughs> yeah. like when like when like when CSNY were doing the Doom tour in '74, and uh, Dylan played all these songs for Stephen Stills, and Stills was like coke to the gills 
at this point. Um, emotional like, capabilities completely shuddered. Well, and I'll, it just that peak arrogance. And like Stills is like, eh, eh, songs are okay. <laughs> you know, and Dylan was just like, you know, like, uh, fuck this guy, fuck this idiot. Songs are okay. Yeah. Like, eh. Like, you know, he's like Dylan's in a hotel room playing, uh, you know, you're going to, you know, uh, you're a big girl now. Yeah. And Stills is like, eh, Conga. Inspired to that. Congas on air. So we're at number one now. Do you, yeah, do you guys have, where do you guys put Blonde on Blonde? So at, at the end of the day, you guys come together because I'm the one that doesn't have Blonde on Blonde at number one. Uh, Evan does. Yeah, I do. I've, I've got it at number, I think, three or four, I think. Uh, no, I've got it at five, actually, behind uh, Blonde on the Tracks, Highway 61, Nashville, because that's my personal kind of favorite, and then Blonde on Blonde, because I just don't have a song on Blonde on Blonde uh, that I love as much as Baby Blue or Rolling Stone. Um, or for that matter, Idiot Wind, Tangled Up in Blue, um, or Lay Lady Lay, or um, I threw it all away. I think like you, you have Nashville my... Skyline above uh, Blonde on Blonde. I, yeah, and that's that's my, his know, basement that's my, tapes. Yeah, that's my that's my oddball. And my temp, yeah, his Tempest. Yeah, that's my Tempest exactly. Everybody's um, got one. Yeah, Blond, yeah. You know, I just don't I, have. A, there's not just one song I can point to on Blonde on Blonde the way there is on the rest of those records. I, I don't want to bring this up again. Uh, I'll just <laughs> say this quickly, okay. but I'd be very curious. I want to hear from you guys. Tell me what your listeners say if they think basement tapes is a stretch, because I actually feel like that's a pretty, I don't feel like that's a stretch, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I want to hear. We, we will put a poll to our hundred listeners. <laughs> I think, I think I'm stretching less than you two guys. All right. No, your stretches. Abs- I, I don't disagree. Pro- I think you're, you're probably, probably right, but, but, but um, that's why ours is a sort of revisionist and, um, ridiculous but I could be wrong I I, I, that's why I'm curious because I could be totally but let's talk about what we both think is right Stephen because I I want to end this on a note of of uh (laughs) tranquility and peace um why is why is blonde on blonde so good well I mean I think for me that I mean it's it's two things I mean it's the quality of the record itself which I think is um I mean, it's blonde on blonde. I mean, what else can you say about it? (laughs) I mean, and I would say, like you said, that there's for you personally that there's not like a baby blue or a like a Rolling Stone. I mean, I would say like Visions of Johanna. Probably, I think it's probably like his greatest song for me. Um, And you also have, you know, sooner or later, one of us must know. You've got, uh, I want you. You've got just like a woman. You've got, I mean, come, I mean, I'll just run down the whole track list <laughs> with that. So you have the album itself, and then you also have the historical significance of the record, which I think it truly is like one of the most important records, certainly in rock music uh, history, uh, in terms of just. You know, as much as any Beatles record or any or any whatever album you want or Pet Sounds or whatever, you know, in terms of just like really showing like what you can do on a record, uh, what, like what this form is capable of, this art form, I think Dylan laid it down. And you mentioned, you know, like without um, side two of bring, bring it all back home. You wouldn't have the velvet underground and all that stuff. I mean, I would say blonde on blonde. Oh yeah. I mean, without you, you a doubt, have the same a whole genres of music. Yeah. And, and really, I think even more so with blonde on blonde because 
uh, not only is the lyrical, I mean, just the sophistication of the, of not just the lyrics, but like thematically what he was doing on that record, how complicated it is emotionally, like a song, like just like a woman, yeah. you have what that song is on the, on the page, which you can read the lyrics and you could very easily dismiss that song as almost like a misogynistic song. Oh, but it, you just it, yeah. read it literally. Right. But like, but like the way he performs it, I think is, it adds so many dimensions to it where there's hurt in that song. There's anger, there's tenderness uh, there. And I still feel like to this day, the ability of Dylan to express so many different things simultaneously in a very human way um, is unparalleled. I, I, I don't know of another, because so many songs are like, this is a love song, or this is like a breakup song, or this is, you slot it in one area and it's very easy. There's so many songs on that record that you can't do that mm-hmm. for. You know, it, there's multiple meanings at the same time. And, uh, it just makes that record so unique and th- that exists on other Dylan records too. But like that record in particular, I think is so deep in that regard. The the way that he is able to reconcile his like uh, penchant for extremely verbose and uh, dense lyricism on that record with this sort of uh, uh, emotional intensity uh it, it it makes it stand apart from like the others and the big three, you know, you've got highway 61, which is kind of like the rock and roll and uh, sort of literary flexing one. You've got bringing it all back home, which I think is kind of like his most like Rambo indebted, like sort of uh visionary poet type of thing. But blonde on blonde is like a perfect synthesis of both of those where you have this incredible, ability to create these unforgettable images and the band just fucking kicks ass and it it finds a perfect balance and then just like comes to a classic and, and like perfectly smooth landing with like, uh, with, with sad eyed lady of the lowlands, like just one of the most incredible love songs ever written that you just get to hear like, it feels like a private song that you just somehow get to hear. Yeah. It, what, 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 what else is there? It's just like, it's so <laughs> it's so good. Uh, amazing album cover too. It looks amazing. Yeah. So, so ahead of uh, its time, the, the sound of it is amazing. Um, you know, that he did it in Nashville, which was at the time, uh, you know, so out of left field for, you know, a rock guy to go to Nashville and work with, you know, Nashville studio cats on a record and how he just made that work perfectly. Um, The fact that he like wrote a lot of those songs on the fly, you know, that he was like in the middle of touring and it was just like, well, let's, I've got some time. Let's go, you know, lay down some tracks. Um, I don't know. It's just such an incredible document even the songs that just aren't like blowing you out of the water, like they, it, there's so met the gravity of the ones that are, are on that level. It's just like any other record by him. is kind of hopeless against this one. It's so, well, 
it's a double record, so you're gonna have that. Like, you know, it's like it's like listening to Exile on Main Street. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's gonna well, be a little shaggy. Like, like Ventilator Blues is like maybe not as good as some. Although I think that's an amazing song, or Turned on the Run, or something. But it's like with a record like that, it's a it's a hangout record. On yeah, some yeah. Level, like where you, you're you're being immersed in this world. And uh, where the sum is greater than the than the parts uh, on some level, even though the parts are pretty amazing, but it's like hey, you're with Bob Dylan in 1966, this genius who is at his absolute peak, and he's just about to burn out, but he hasn't, but he's not there. I mean, really, I think the Exile on Main Street comparison makes a lot of sense because that was where the Stones were just about to burn out, right? And they were just kind of running on adrenaline at that point. And I think that's what, what Dylan was running on other things too, but, as were the Stones. But um, it's, and it's, it's exhilarating to see an artist pushing themselves to the absolute like maximum edge of their ability. And right. I think that's, that's what Dylan's doing on Blonde on Blonde. It it's... never ceases to just grip me, you know, suck me in. But I love all these records. All all the records. You know, I said this in my piece that I love every Bob Dylan record, even the bad ones. You know, uh, and I believe that I I love every single one of these records, and I, I I truly believe that at some point in my life, any one of these records could be my favorite. You know, and that's right. the great thing about Bob Dylan. Well said. Couldn't have and said it some, better ourselves. And at some point, I might be like. Basement tapes, not that good. I'm, I'm over it. You know, I, I, and I, will be in I really hope that we don't, uh, you know, decide never to um, speak again, Stephen, uh, whether it be online or on our podcast or in real life over our disagreements tonight. It's all good. I, it's all good. Come on. We're talking about Bob Dylan. Like, what? how could, how, you know, this is, this is, a, there's this gonna, is much fun. It's much fun as you're, as you're legally allowed to have. Yeah, there's going to be some disagreements. You got to have some shaggy dog numbers in there just to break it up, just to break up the uh, agreements that mm. we're all going to have on a Bob Dylan podcast we all agreed to be on. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for joining us. This has been uh, quite a marathon. Uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I yeah. hope that uh, you've enjoyed most of them. Um, Absolutely. What, what What would you like to uh, to plug to our uh, vast and ever growing listenership? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Hayden. Um, you can find my books wherever you buy books. Uh, I, I, I think that's it. And yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Most people don't want to talk about Bob Dylan for three hours. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Please. <laughs> the pleasure is truly all ours. <laughs> um, great. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm going to send us out with one of these on my Bob Dylan series, Honer Harmonica. Ooh. Come on. You can do better Sounds than that. Good, right. That was, that was great. Give, give me a little something, Ian. Try to make it sound pretty. <laughs> Joker man. Everything went from bad to worse. Money never changed a thing. Death kept following, tracking us down. At least I heard your bluebird sing. Now somebody's got to show their hand. Time is an enemy. I know you're long gone 
I guess it must be up to me. 